One of the central components of an academic career is the act of research, and in particular, building a research program that grows and is consistent over the years and makes an impact. And a central element of that is to choosing research topics. How do we do that? How do we choose what we study? How do we choose something that is appealing to us long enough so that we stay with it for a long period of time? About this and many other fascinating topics, this conversation with Lourdes Cueva Chacón in this episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcikowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome everybody to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am thrilled to have with us today Lourdes Cueva Chacón. Lourdes is assistant professor in the School of Journalism and Media Studies at San Diego State University. Before starting there in August of last year, in the middle of the world's public health crisis in a century, um, she was at uh, the School of Journalism at the University of Texas at Austin and at the University of Texas El Paso. And before that, she had a very interesting professional career. She received her PhD uh, at the University of Texas Austin in August of two th uh, 20, uh, 2020, um, and uh, so less than a year ago. And before that, a master's at the University of Texas El Paso in 2010. And before that, a master's in information science at UNC uh, Chapel Hill. Before that, she graduated from a bachelor's in industrial engineering at Universidad de Lima in Peru, her uh, home country. Lourdes has, despite the fact that she graduated less than a year ago, she has been very prolific, has a number of journal articles and book chapters and others uh, in progress. Uh, Lourdes, welcome to El Café Latinx. Thank you very much, Pablo. I'm really happy to be here. And as I mentioned also in the seminar, I really appreciate that you and your team have, are giving this space to um, Latinx and Latin American scholars. I think it was very much needed and it's, it's a great, great and comfortable space to come and talk. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm glad uh, you appreciate it. It's, it's been wonderful for us actually to do this. And um, you know, these conversations are, are one of the things I look the, forward to the most every week. So I'm very excited um, to, to be here uh, virtually on the screen uh, talking with you. So, so Lourdes, how did it all begin? That is, how was the start of, of the journey that led you to become a professor? 
I was um, joking a little bit earlier that I, I have a short answer to that or I have a very long answer to that. <laughs> Any answer that you wish to share? Yes. Um, so I guess um, I, when I was in high school in Peru, I was interested in social sciences, but at the time it was not something um, well seen. Um, it was not appreciated, you know, as much as the traditional uh, careers. I'm a first generation and my parents did, you know, a huge effort uh, paying for my education. And I, I chose something that was, you know, safer at the time. And so I did this a career in industrial engineering in a university that wasn't really focused on, you know, working in actual uh, industries or fabrics, but it was more oriented to uh, the analysis and design of process, production processes. So that was actually a good thing. I, then I moved into system analysis. And when the web started developing and, and becoming more and more prevalent, I decided that I had to come to the US to, um, to learn more about that. And that's how I uh, ended up at, in Chapel Hill doing information science. And once I graduated from there, I started developing websites and working for startups. And that led me to meet people in El Paso where I design, prototyped and design and work with developers uh, to um, bring to life borderscene.com, which is um, a project uh, that at the University of Texas at El Paso that it's a um, uh, professionally edited and bilingual, bicultural, outlet, uh, not only for students, um, but for professionals in general. And so working with Sita Arocha there, I kind of reconnected with, you know, my social sciences interest and, and journalism. And given that I had the skills, the technical skills that were uh, so much needed at the time, I was able to start, you know, working with them and Sita and David Smith Soto were my mentors and my trainers in journalism. And uh, that's when I joined the Masters in Communication also and I started teaching at UT El Paso and working in projects on the border. And while I was doing that, I realized, you know, and then it was now that I, at the time of had been in the US for longer time, I realized how, uh, you know, not only minority communities, especially the Latinx community, were not being covered uh, accurately or not covered at all. Um, but I also noticed that my students, you know, there were 70% of my students were Hispanic or Latinx, uh, didn't have the same opportunities as uh, their white peers. And so that, that was, you know, that caught my attention in terms of research. And I, I uh, my original intention was to learn more about diversity in newsrooms and how we could, uh, from the inside, from the universities, uh, 
push for that change. And, and so that led me to apply for a, a PhD program and I was accepted at UT Austin. And that's how it started. And then uh, I haven't stopped since I'm now in, at San Diego State. All right, what a great trajectory. So you went from Lima to Chapel Hill to El Paso. And yes. in the process, you transitioned from systems design uh, to news and information. Yes. And from practice to teaching. Wow. Yeah. So, so how was your experience uh, as a graduate student at, at UT Austin? I mean, um, you, based on the, the stories and the history that you share, you were perhaps, and am I right in guessing that you were slightly older and, and more advanced professionally than many of your peers? Um, how was that experience for you? Yes, I, you can say that I'm, I'm a, I'm a non-traditional uh, student and a PhD student also. Um, I was, um, I think I was lucky because I, I found uh, classmates um, that share my, um, maybe not my research interest exactly, but that um, share maybe my culture and my motivations for doing research. And then I also found mentors uh, that, you know, supported me all the way. And I have to say most of them were women. And then so I, I have a, a big depth um, to a lot of women that, that were part of my of my life of, of a, as a graduate student. Um, it's difficult being a non-traditional uh, student. I'm not only older, I'm also a mother. And so balancing all those aspects, it, it's a little bit difficult uh, sometimes. I can tell you, for instance, that the first paper that I had to send to AJ, which I, was also a course requirement uh, as part of the program. I um, nursed my son and he fell asleep in my lab at 11 <laughs> at night. And, and then I put him to bed and I was able to do the last minute changes to the paper before sending it. And the deadline was 11.59 PM, right? And so um, those are the kind of things that I had to to, to balance. Um, and so what I think I did early on to help me, um, and it, it was just accept that my um, life experience was going to be different, right? I, um, you mentioned at the entry that I'm prolific and I, um, I don't think that I'm that prolific if you compare me with my classmates. Uh, but then it's something that I, and, and it's also the competitiveness uh, in the, in the uh, program, at least in, in, in my program. And um, so early on, I have to accept that it, the, the, my standards were going to be, were going to be different, but that it, they were, that didn't mean that they were worse or you know lower in terms of quality or content or, or things like that it was just going to be different my my pace um what was going to be different and it wasn't something that i accepted right away and you know it was 
constant, a constant struggle sometimes. But, uh, but that helped me. And then again, with the support of classmates and, uh, and mentors, I think I, I was able to successfully graduate uh, uh, from the program. And now I'm now in a school that I also feel and I have the support of the faculty and I'm in a place where I feel that I can contribute not only in terms of research, but also in terms of training um, because uh, San Diego is a Hispanic serving institution. And so I think that my research that focuses on Latinx media can also help my students, you know, get, uh, get a better training, better jobs, and prepare them. Okay, that's great. Now, when you started the PhD program, did you, were you focused on getting a tenure track job? Because you, you, you were one of the very few tenure track jobs uh, that started uh, last year in the field, right? I mean, yes. uh, you are exceedingly successful. Um, was that your goal from the get-go or did you consider um, you know, other options. You had had many years of career in the world of practice and with your skill set, you could do well there as well. So, um, you know, how was, what was the behind the scenes of your journey and your thought process? Yes, I, I did have the, the goal of becoming a, a professor from the beginning. Uh, from the beginning of the PhD. Um, and, and one of the reasons was that I work at UT El Paso as a, a senior lecturer uh, for several years. And I realized, uh, you know, how lecturers are at a disadvantage. And that's something that, you know, uh, we have to try to um, be civilized more and it, it would would be it would take a full uh, episode of the podcast, but as a as a as senior lecturer, I realized how at the disadvantage we were in terms not only of you know uh, um, compensation and time of work, but also in terms of you know of implementing change, change in terms of the programs that we taught or you know how. Um, uh, we could improve and expand the experience of the students. And I, my objective was also, uh, and I say this openly all the time, is to bring more Latinos uh, to news. And so it, it, I had to have the power uh, of, you know, being a, a, a professor, part of the uh, tenure track and tenure uh, which are the people who make the decisions uh, most of the time. And so, yes, I, I, I had the objective of doing that. And because teaching is also something that I, uh, I really like, it's not just research. I, I think it's 50-50 what I'm interested on, teaching and doing research. Okay. Um... Were there any doubts along the, the journey that you would succeed or do you, 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 you remain optimistic all along asking because many times graduate students, I remember when I was a graduate student, I didn't know what was going to happen. So although yeah. I know some people who are super optimistic from the get go. Uh, 
yeah of course there were doubts at, at some points right it's it's even though i think i'm well adjusted to the scholar uh, life the academic life in the in the us there there are still you know challenges and i also had uh, one year that was very difficult because I went through a health issue uh, that, you know, slowed slow me a little bit. Um, but that was, that was my dream. Uh, I really, I really was working and I, I have to acknowledge the support of my partner, my husband, um, and, and even my son, uh, that they, they believe in that too and they help me. When I was getting close to graduating, um, of course, the market uh, was difficult and it was, uh, there was the possibility of not, you know, getting a, a, a full-time job. I, I started thinking about alternatives, but thankfully, um, my skills um, and the networks that I had developed, um, you know, helped me. Uh, help me get access to, you know, different job opportunities. Okay, let, let, let's talk about the networks, if you don't mind. I mean, lots mm -hmm. of people talk about, you know, you have to network, um, but very few people talk about how they network, right? Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, and th there are many ways of networking, I'm assuming, because there are many ways of living, you know, a life. So yes. what, what, what are the, your, your networking do's and don'ts? What are the things that you have found in your experience that have helped you, that perhaps might help others as well? Yeah, I think uh, my talk this morning was about collaboration. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best way to, to network. And I'm not talking only about, you know, working on a paper together, but other ways of collaboration. And, and who taught me this early on was, again, mentioning the women in my life, Sita Arocha, because she designed this uh, academy for uh, journalism instructors. And because she saw that, you know, in Hispanic serving institutions, uh, the um, faculty not necessarily had enough resources uh, to update their skills to multimedia and the digital world. And so um, she designed this academy. It's free, it's all funded. And so that way I collaborated with her. I also taught in, in the academy. And that way I started knowing professors for the, from different places in the U.S and started relationships that last until now. My co-author, Jessica Retis, she gave the keynote opening for the speaker series. I met her at the first academy there. We are both Peruvian, but we didn't know each other from before. And so we have kept this friendship all this time. I think it's more than 10 years. And now we're writing papers together. So. I think it's a combination of uh, volunteering your time and your knowledge, not necessarily for free, but uh, looking for ways that you can collaborate and contribute in different aspects of your uh, professional career. Uh, it could be 
you know, training, uh, researching, teaching. I also help and I have learned a lot from Doug Mitchell, who runs the Next Generation Radio Project uh, that is funded by NPR and some universities in the US. And so I have collaborated with them. And that way I'm learning, I'm meeting with new generation of uh, public radio journalists, for instance, that are also now uh, people that I follow in their careers and are professionals and now I can call and ask them to please come talk to my students and share their experiences uh, with them. So it's um, um, thinking, I, I guess, in, in a way that you are part of this uh, community of people who share your goals, who share your sometimes your expertise, expertise, and and thinking that you're not you're not alone, and you have to seek um, you know their um, their company in in different aspects of your professional life, and it's it's a constant work, right? You have to keep up with what they're doing. Uh, but when you're you're in this mindset, it's not work. It's just, you know, it's 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 friendships, maybe in a different way than your closer friends, but there there are still friendships that you have to develop the same way as regular friendships. Okay. So so collaboration is key, right? Um, yes. And you study collaboration. Yes. Um, so how do you pick your topics? How do you decide what to study? Um, well, it, it, again, it seems that probably um, usually I the, the research that I enjoy the most, because I've been part of, of research um, that I I've been part of because I want to learn something new, uh, or I think, uh, you know, that um, it's going to get me closer, or it's going to be a stepping stone to another topic that I want to research. But usually the research that I enjoy the most and I seek is the one that really, you know, hits me in the gut. It's the one, the things that are really upset me or give me joy. And so when I started this, like I've mentioned, it was why my students that are so good and sort of devoted to their communities are not valued just because they are Hispanic or Latinx. And so the, you have to change that. So we have to do research about that. Why um, immigrants are depicted not accurately uh, in the press, what's going on? What what do journalists require to learn? What what is it that we have to ask them to pay more attention to? So the reports about the border immigration or the border communities is more accurately. Um, and and in collaboration, in terms of collaboration in in Latin American journalism, is because I I've seen how. Uh, successful enterprises have brought 
uh, justice have exposed corruption. And I, I believe that corruption in Latin America right now is the worst thing that, you know, is percolating everything and it's affecting all levels of society. And that's something that we have to fight um, you know, with all the tools in our hands. Okay. Um, so I have several uh, follow-up questions. Yeah, so I choose them. I choose them because they, you know, they move me in a way, in some yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what moves you, I am learning, has a connection to issues of social inequality, marginalization, etc., among other uh, aspects. So, so you you said already twice this issue of why is it so difficult, for instance, for Hispanic or Latinx people to be properly represented and to have the seat at the table that is proportional to um, their prevalence in society? Um, from your experience what have you found to be most successful in bringing about change in this case? In the classroom, outside of the classroom, etc. cetera. Uh, it's, uh, it's difficult because it, if we pay attention to what's going on right now, there's, there's not much change. We thought that last summer protest um, because of uh, you know racial issues was going to bring change, and then we go back to about the same thing. Uh, but I I think that uh, giving access and opening minds to other ways to look at the world, and not discarding people. Uh, or saying that they cannot cover their communities because they are the same color, they're not going to be objective, is something that is damaging newsrooms. We never say that white reporters cannot cover white communities. It's what they do all the time, right? And so we have to acknowledge that. And uh, uh, understanding that uh, life experiences don't make people uh, bias, um, but they help those experiences help them connect with their communities. For my dissertation, I did research about something that happened in Austin and it's related to segregation in the city that continues until now. And one of the problems that I found, and it was mostly among white journalists, was that um, they didn't see as a problem to continue the status quo. They didn't, uh, even though they were uh, sensitive to racial and ethnic issues, they didn't find um, ways to challenge that because they thought that just um, reproducing in the stories the status quo was enough. That was the job of the journalist. And it was not their job to challenge that. And But when I talked to Latino and La Latino, Latina and Black journalists, 
their life's experiences show me that uh, you know they 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 look for explanations they look for uh, getting in contact with uh, leaders in the community to understand history to pay attention to you know what was the process that I had uh, make things getting into you know how they look at the time and so through that process they were challenging the status quo and so if if you understand uh, and open your newsroom to people like that and don't label them as biases just from the beginning it, i think that's what can bring more change in in newsrooms at least okay that's very interesting could the same apply to you know the scholarly world for, for instance i'm thinking you know conferences and the, the so-called conference circuit right mm -hmm. um, um which is a, a vital part for networking for exchange of ideas uh, for access to opportunities um do you see similar dynamics applying there what has been your experience uh, as a uh, latina um, and latin american uh, woman uh, navigating uh, you know aejmc or you know other you know large professional conferences yes i i I don't, I think that uh, conferences are a little bit overrated in terms of networking sites, to be honest. Uh, I ended up hanging out with my friends, right? And it, yes, I, I met with other people and you get to listen to their, um, uh, you know, to the research and that's very important. I, I actually go to conferences because of that, because you get to, you know, the, know the researchers. Um, and when you present your research is not the same as reading, reading it, you know, just reading it because in the conversations, uh, in the Q&A, you learn more. Um, but those opportunities to, to, you know, get close to other people are not as, as um, it's, it's not easy to, to develop networks that way. And, and it's even more difficult if you cannot even attend the conference, right? And, and, and I was answering a, a survey from a large conference that you sent a survey a few days back. And I was looking at the places where they have uh, held the conference and there, there's no, there's no country from the global south, and so um, that's one of the things that we have to do is this this um, decentralize uh, the 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 places where uh, we believe that you know knowledge or good knowledge is being created. Knowledge, good knowledge, quality knowledge is being created everywhere is just that sometimes English, I think the English language uh, closes us, you know, to other forms of where, uh, of uh, other forms of looking at, you know, uh, knowledge. Okay. 
So, so if you were granted a, a wish, you had magical powers, right? And, and we're granted one wish about how you'd like the field of communication and media studies to change. What would you wish for? Well, I think the centering, you know, the, the, the idea of, you know, where, it, what I just said, where knowledge, good knowledge is produced. I, um, bringing uh, international conferences to South America, for instance, I think it's, it's very important. South America or Latin America is not just Mexico. Uh, with all due respect, because a lot of great things are, are coming out from Mexico. Um, there are lots of other uh, great scholars. And of course, some of them have been in the series uh, also, uh, but there are other scholars that don't have the resources, you know, or uh, could produce more if they were given the time and the help, um, but just bringing a conference to as a, a country in Latin America will make a, a great difference. I mean, some of these countries have held Olympics. Why cannot they held, <laughs> hold uh, conferences, international conferences? There's, there's no excuse about no not holding conferences in South America. And so I think it, that would be a good change. That will bring, you know, that I think that will be open minds uh, uh, from people from the North and give a lot of opportunities to people from the South. All right. Thank you very much, Lourdes. Thank you for sharing your story and your insights with us. Um, thank you to our listeners for staying with us to the end. And I invite everybody to join us again for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thank you again. Thank you. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcikowski, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mona Matassi. <laughs>